In 1809, the world was changing. Great Britain signed a treaty ending the Anglo-Turkish War and agreed to fight with the Turks against the French. In America, the Supreme Court ruled the federal government is above the individual state. James Madison was sworn in as the fourth president. The Napoleon Wars were in full force, and Abraham Lincoln was born. The same day Abraham Lincoln was born, the man in our story was also born. Hi, welcome back to Church History. I'm your host, Laura Lee Siemens. If you haven't gotten an episode in a little while and you listen to the podcast through a podcasting app, I am having a little bit of a problem with my host site currently, and some of my podcasts are not getting out. So eventually, you might all of a sudden get a whole bunch of podcasts at the same time. I apologize for the problem that we're having, and I hope it can be resolved quickly. Our story starts before the birth of our main character. It starts with a man named Erasmus. He was a very popular doctor living in England in the late 1700s. Erasmus loved science and literature. He loved to write and was also the type of man who fought for social change. Erasmus was a deist. That means he believed in God, but he didn't believe the Bible was inspired. He also did not believe that God cared about the world. He rejected the idea that God had created the world. He wrote his theories of what he believed and how he believed the world came into existence. Erasmus is not well known today. He died without anyone taking his ideas seriously. And he never met his grandson. However, his grandson would grow up to read his writings and change the world. Erasmus had a son named Robert, and he followed in his father's steps and also became a doctor. While Erasmus did believe in God, but rejected the Bible, his son Robert didn't believe in God at all. He was an atheist. Robert was a really successful man, and he gave his wife Susanna everything she could ever ask for. Robert had a little boy named Charles. Although Robert was an atheist, he cared very deeply about how he was seen in social circles. Now, at the time, many of the churches were more of a social club than a place to see and know God. Because of this, Robert took his son Charles to the Church of England to be christened. His wife, Susanna, was a Unitarian. That means she believed in God, but she didn't believe in the Trinity. She believed God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus were all names for one God. Susanna took all six of her children to church. In 1817, when Charles was just eight years old, he was sent to Unitarian Day School. What he found out was that he loved science, and he really loved school. The school was run by a preacher, and young Charles had a Christian influence on his life. After just one year of school, his joyful, carefree life was shattered. During the summer when he was home, his mother died suddenly. His older siblings took over his care, and this included bringing him to church. However, they left the Unitarian Church and started attending the Church of England. When it was time for school to start again, he didn't return to the Unitarian school his mother had signed him up for. He was sent instead to a grammar school. Charles was taught about God and theology. He had all the head knowledge he could ever have, but he never took it into his own life. He never made it personal. 
Do you love learning about church history and love this podcast? This podcast is being turned into a book series and the first book is now available for sale. You can find the link in the show notes. And now back to our episode. Just like Erasmus and Robert, Charles would grow up to study to become a doctor. The plan for his life was laid out from the time he was born. So he headed off to study and prepare for his life as a doctor. Charles loved learning about science, and he was so excited to study medicine. Everything was going great, until the students had to deal with corpses. In order to be ready to deal with bodies that are alive, students practiced on bodies that were dead, and Charles could not handle this. He didn't want anything to do with corpses, especially nothing to do with cutting them open. And that's when Charles knew he was in trouble. He would not be able to finish medical school unless he was willing to operate on corpses. But he really wanted to continue studying sciences. He was really interested in natural history and zoology. Robert was very angry with his son. And he wrote, You care for nothing but shooting, dogs, and rat catching. You'll be a disgrace to yourself and all your family. Even though Robert was an atheist, he did see the church as a career that would put his son in good social standings. And Charles would be able to study nature, and he would only have to teach one day a week. Charles thought the idea of a career in a church sounded great. He loved the idea of finding a church out in the country somewhere, where he could spend lots of time in nature and study zoology. There was one problem. What about the ethical question? Could he be a pastor if he thought the teachings of the church were silly? He didn't understand how anyone could possibly believe the Bible was true. And he wondered how ethical it would be to be a pastor if you didn't believe in the creed of the church. He wrote this in his journal. I asked for some time to consider. As from what little I had heard and thought on the subject, I had scruples about declaring my belief in all the dogmas of the Church of England. Though otherwise I liked the thought of being a country clergyman, and as I did not then in the least doubt the strict and literal truth of every word of the Bible, I soon persuaded myself that our creed must be fully accepted. It never struck me how illogical it was to say that I believed in what I could not understand, in what is, in fact, unintelligible. Charles headed to Cambridge. He spent time studying the Bible, and God was calling Charles. Charles had a professor named William Paley. William Paley taught natural theology. Natural theology believes that you can find God and learn about God from nature instead of the Bible. Natural theology proves the existence of God from nature and rational thought. The natural theology doesn't use the Bible to prove the existence of God. Charles was drawn into the theology because of his love of nature. The problem is, when we put our faith in our own rational thinking instead of in the Word of God, then we are putting our foundation of faith in us instead of in God's Word. William Paley did have good intentions. He believed he was helping people who were struggling with their faith. Instead, he caused his students to question the authority of the Bible. Once the Bible itself is called into question, the book of Genesis becomes the first book the students would stop believing in. They first threw out the story of Noah, then the story of creation. Charles was studying theology, 
but took as many classes as possible in the sciences. He studied plants and animals. At this time, the science classes were beginning to outright deny the authority of the Bible. Charles didn't get his theology degree. He eventually admitted he wasn't called to be a pastor and really had no interest in the Bible or the church. Instead, he got a job working on a ship, the HMS Beagle, and on the ship he worked as the ship's naturalist, and he was a companion for the ship's captain, and Charles loved this job. He traveled all over the world, visiting different land areas, and he wrote about all of them in his journals. He also spent time reading, including the writings of a man named Charles Lyell, who taught the world was millions of years old. Charles had already started doubting the Bible, with the influence of his father, his theology professor, and now Charles Lyell. His doubts on the authority of the Bible was growing. However, Charles would argue with the other sailors, and he defended the Bible as a moral compass for life. He wrote this in his journal, But I had gradually come by this time to see that the Old Testament, from its manifestly false history of the world, was no more to be trusted than the sacred book of the Hindus, or the beliefs of any barbarian. October the 2nd, 1836, he landed back in England. He took everything that he had collected on his trip and began to study it. He loved nature, and he found that when he was with nature, things seemed to just make sense. Are you enjoying this podcast? Do you want to support this podcast? Well, pour yourself a cup of coffee and imagine waking up each morning with a reminder from our church fathers. Check out our Etsy page where you can find mugs with quotes from great men and women of God. You'll find a link in the show notes. And now, back to our episode. Three years later, he married a girl named Emma. Charles' father encouraged his doubts with the Bible and his doubts with God. However, he told Charles to make sure he did not let Emma know about his doubts. The two were married, and once married, Charles found it harder to hide his unbelief. Emma loved Charles and became very concerned for his soul. She believed she was marrying a man who had studied theology and had at one point wanted to go into the ministry. But she quickly found out she married a man who was in the process of rejecting the Bible entirely. Emma prayed for Charles and tried to encourage him to turn his heart back to God. Charles was also reading his grandfather's writings. Even though he had never met his grandfather, he felt connected to him while reading his writings. This grounded him even further into the denial of the Bible. Emma and Charles had a little girl named Annie. Charles fell head over heels in love with Annie. She was the apple of his eye. When Annie was 10 years old, she suddenly became sick. In just a few days, she died. He wrote in his journal, Poor dear Annie was taken with a vomiting attack, which at first thought of the smallest importance, but it rapidly assumed the form of a low and dreadful fever, which carried her off in 10 days. Thank God she hardly suffered at all. She was my favorite child. Poor, dear little soul. Charles was in shock at the sudden death of his daughter, and he began to spin out of control. He turned all of his anger and hatred toward God. I cannot persuade myself that a kind and omnipotent God would have designly created a cat should play with mice, 
this very old argument from the existence of suffering against the existence of an intelligent first cause seems to be a strong one, whereas, as just remarked, the presence of much suffering agrees well with the view that all organic beings have been developed through a variation and natural selection. Many people who question God use the argument, how can a good God let bad things happen? And this was the question that finished off the battle in Charles' mind. He wrote in his journal, My theology is simple, muddled. I cannot look at the universe as the result of a blind chance. Yet I can see no evidence of design. When thus reflecting, I feel compelled to look at the first cause, having an intelligent mind in some degree. I deserve to be called a theist. Charles began to teach that God was the origin of life but that God didn't care about his creation, and once he created it, he left it alone. He began to want to know more about how life began. During his time on the ship traveling the world, Charles had created lots of collections. He wrote about them, and he also drew about them. Charles didn't invent the idea of evolution. It was already a theory that people were talking about. Even his grandfather had believed it. He believed that what he saw actually proved the idea. One of the things he noticed was that animals, such as birds, had adapted to the environment that they lived in, with things such as colors or beak shapes. He could see that the different types of animals had changed to adapt to their environment, and he used this scientific observation to jump to a theory that cannot be observed. And this is the idea that one animal had adapted or changed over time into a completely new animal. The animals he had seen were finches on an island, while a bird may change to adapt to its environment, in the end, it's still a bird. Charles wrote that animals had evolved from different animals altogether. And even more, he believed that humans had evolved, and were still evolving. And the most evolved was a European gentleman. For example, he wrote of the indigenous people of Australia, that they were far down on the list of evolved people, and closer to an animal. He wrote, at some future period, not very distant as measured by centuries, a civilized race of men will almost certainly exterminate and replace the savages' races throughout the world. At the same time, the apes will no doubt be exterminated. The break between man and his nearest allies will be wider, for it will intervene between man in a more civilized state, as we have hope, even, that the Caucasian, and some ape as low as a baboon, instead of now being between the Negro or the Australian and the gorilla. November 24th, 1859, Charles' book was published. It was called On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection, or The Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. Most people don't realize that that was the actual title of his book. Let me read it again on the origin of species by means of natural selection, or the preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. Remember our story of William Wilberforce? We told three episodes of him. He died in July of 1833, a few days after slavery was outlawed in England. America had outlawed the importing of slaves, and some of the states had outlawed slavery completely. The fight to end slavery in the States was in full swing by 1859 and would be ended in 1865, 
just six years after Charles wrote his book. This is important because while today Charles' book is known simply as The Origin of Species, and most people believe he wrote about the evolution of plants and animals and people, he also taught something called eugenics. He believed that with the theory of evolution, we can make a superior human race. He believed for the human race to finally evolve, those who are not fully evolved had to be killed, or at least not allowed to breed. Since the argument for slavery was in full swing, many people loved this theory. The book allowed them to reject God. We didn't come from God, but by our own power of evolving. It also allowed for slavery, genocide, stealing land, and eugenics. If the indigenous people were a lesser form of human, or not human at all, then they could be treated the same way we treat animals. If you could own a horse and make it work your fields, then you could own a black person who was closer to an animal than human. Satan used this teachings to keep the hate alive while the fight to end slavery was winning. People could now use science to defend their racist positions. Slavery was defended by science. When science became part of the racism, it started the whole new horror, eugenics. In America, a man named Francis Galton used Charles' theory to make eugenics popular in America. In fact, eugenics became part of American law. It was used to forcibly sterilize criminals, and then it moved to forcibly sterilizing people who had cognitive disabilities. Then people with mental deficiency, foster children, poor people, and minorities were forcibly or tricked into being sterilized. We are going to talk more about this movement of eugenics in a future episode, but one name you might know is Margaret Singer, who called for not only the sterilization of poor people, but also the death of people who are poor, and specifically black people. Margaret Singer is the founder of Planned Parenthood, the leading provider of abortion in America, who still targets the black community, the poor, and the disabled. She also pushed to make it law that someone would have to prove they were financially able to have a child before being allowed to have a baby. Frances Galton, Margaret Singer were not the only two people to use Charles's book to push eugenics. Adolf Hitler also read his book and believed he could use his theory to make the perfect human race, the Aryan race. We're going to go into this part of history in great detail in another episode, but it all started this time period. As the church was fighting to end slavery, the theory of evolution brought in the next horror of the world, eugenics. Today, Charles Darwin's teachings are cleaned up. In school, we're taught his book is simply called The Origin of Species. No one talks about what he actually taught and believed. There's one more question about Charles that people have. Did he abandon everything and become a Christian on his deathbed? Well, that story was told by a person named Lady Hope. Her real name was Elizabeth Cotton. Now, Elizabeth was raised in the home of a very active evangelist. Her father was Sir Arthur Cotton, and he was a preacher and he lived in the same town where Charles lived with his family. In 1915, Elizabeth was speaking at a conference in America, and she told this grand story of speaking to Charles a few months before his death. She claimed that Charles told her his views on evolution were just a young man with unformed ideas. She also claimed that he asked her to return so that they could speak about Jesus Christ. This story was retold all over the Western countries, and even today, people still tell this story. However, Elizabeth was in town more than six months before Charles' death, and he was not bedridden at that time. It would be an incredible ending to the story. God was calling Charles from the time he was a small child. 
but Charles rejected God, rejected the Bible, and rejected truth in general. Science had never rejected God. We talked about this in our episode Sir Isaac Newton and the episode Science and the Church. But Charles was a turning point. Charles wanted science to be a rejection of God, and his theory was then used for the worst things in our history. Today he's known more by his last name, Charles Darwin. Today, 163 years later, there is still no evidence of a species evolving into a different species. While a bird making changes to adapt to its environment is scientifically provable and observable, there is no evidence no one has ever viewed one species becoming a completely different species. It's not observable. Scientists have been studying for decades to try to discover why zebras have stripes. A zebra is from a horse and donkey family, but in the end, all three are still part of the same family. Horses, zebras, and donkeys, they're all the same species. Ligers are kind of a newer animal, half tiger and half lion. Still the tiger, liger, and lion are all in the same family. They're all cats. You can't find a situation where an animal went from the bird family to a cat family. No animal from the cat family became part of the horse family. And most importantly, there's no connection between an animal and a human. The idea that humans came from animals is an unprovable, unobservable theory that led to eugenics and racist laws. Unfortunately, many churches today are afraid of speaking on anything that opposes the teachings of Charles Darwin. They try and merge the creation story with Charles' teachings. Anytime the word science is used, people are afraid to question it. What we can learn from Charles' life is that questioning the Bible leads to the Bible no longer being the authority in your life, and that leads us down a path of destruction. In worldly terms, Charles Darwin would seem extremely successful. His book sold out within days of print, and today, over 160 years later, his name is worshipped, and you can't question him. But his theory changed the world in a very bad way. Millions of people were killed. Rights were taken away from people based on their race. People were enslaved, and evil under the name of eugenics, was given a foothold on the world. Next week, I'm going to have a little bit more of a positive story, and I'm going to tell the story of one of the people who is on my list of top five Christian heroes, and you don't want to miss that episode. If you want to hear more podcasts, read some blogs, or check out my videos, you can go to lauraleesiemens.com. I'll see you next week.